Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. So you won't kick down, I won't. 
Man, somebody's excited about the best year ever. Hey, it's nothing like going from a really spiritual moment to like cardiac arrest um, in, in just a moment like that. Well, how are you, church? You good? Good. It's good to be with you guys today. For those of you that I haven't met or if this is your first time, my name is David Walters and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the Vine Church and it's awesome to be in week two of this. I've got just a little bit of a personal disclaimer for you. I'm not sure what my voice is going to do, okay? So it sounds a little raspy now, but while I was singing, it was constantly cracking and so I apologize for those of you that were sitting around me for hearing that. It's not because I'm going through puberty a second time. It's just uh, I'm coming down with a little bit of a cold and the fact that I yelled a lot at Big Ten officials and um, boys 11 and 12 year old recreation basketball officials uh, this week didn't help on uh, when it comes to my voice. So I'm just uh, apologizing in advance uh, for that. But hey, it's great to be with you. We are in week two of a series that we kicked off last week called Best Year Ever, where at this time of the year, a lot of us, we are focused on trying to make this year better than last year, or maybe trying to make it the best year ever. We've got all kinds of words and umbrella phrases for that. Maybe some of you are saying, hey, I want to experience breakthrough in 2018, or I want to experience abundance in 2018. Maybe you want to move from just surviving to thriving. I mean, whatever you want to call it, we're all kind of in that same place when it comes to January and maybe two weeks into February. We are focused on making this year awesome. And so we are in a series where we're trying to help you make this your best year ever. And we've got four practices that we're going to be talking about over the course of this series. We talked about uh, the practice last week. We'll be talking about a practice this week. Um, But I want to also say that before we get to this week's practice, that when we talk about practice, is we're not talking about things that we can do like externally or modify like behavior and nothing wrong with that. Those things are good. But the things that we're going to be talking about in this series are things that we do internally so that regardless of what happens around us throughout the year, because really when it comes down to it, almost every year is the same. We're going to experience highs. We're going to experience lows that we can be constant in that and experience our best year ever. How many of you want to sign up for that? And how many of you know the importance of having a constant internal state because there are things around us that are going to be good, they're going to be bad, and we're going to experience that throughout the year. Yeah, if you are a resident of Georgia, you know this, all right? Yeah, I mean, because just this week, we experienced like highs and lows. We're at the beginning of the week. We were like all in the anticipation of maybe our two like remaining football teams kind of carrying on the opportunity maybe to bring home a championship. And here we are, and we're back to, to normal. And so, um, and so it's a challenge for us. I mean, and, uh, and I just have the realization this week that like hell is real. Hell is real, and I knew that hell was real. I believe that hell was real, but heaven's described or hell is described as a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, and I experienced that in my boy's bedroom immediately following the Georgia game on Monday night. Yes, that is correct. In fact, before they even got to the post-game interview with Coach Saban, Liz looked at me and said you need to do something about those boys. And so I went downstairs where the boys' room was and I opened the door and one of my kids was just gnashing of teeth. And uh, he looked at me and he said, get out. And I was like, dude, this is my house. Anyway, you know, he was like, get out. And I was like, what did I do? He goes, it's not fair. And I was like, okay, what did I have to do with that? He's like, I hate you. I was like, I didn't. 
the dogs, they're horrible. I was like, no, they're actually really, anyway, it was like, you know, trying to console him. And then another child, you know, there was a little bit of weep, maybe a little bit of tears, you know? And so, you know, for about an hour, I'm trying to, you know, bring a little bit of heaven into their hell. And uh, fortunately for me, I've got two daughters who on the other side of the downstairs, they've got their room that they share, and that was a little bit of heaven for me, you know, and because uh, I walked in there, and they were like, life's normal, you know, and I was like, thank God for girls, you know, and, uh, and so I just had like in a moment, like a realization that there are highs, there are lows, there's, there's heaven, and then there's hell, and uh, we joke about football being hell, because that's basically how we have to like deal with our own disappointment in Georgia, um, and okay, I thought that would be funny, but anyway, you know, like, uh, so um, we, we joke about that, but the reality is that a lot of us, we've got a lot of other things that are more serious than, than football and losses for the Falcons or the dogs or Georgia Tech who didn't make it that far. I mean, you know, like that we've got to deal with in the process a lot harder things. And that's the reality because look, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. Like your, your life this year, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. You're going to have things happen that are out of your control and you're going to go, oh, I thought this was going to be the best year ever. And the reality is that we cannot control those external things, but we can control the internal things. And so what we're doing in this series is we're talking about four practices that you can do to change the inside to change the spiritual environment on the inside. And I believe those things will work out. They are gonna take a little bit of time. And hopefully you haven't given up on that diet yet. You haven't given up on that workout program yet. You haven't given up on your new financial plan yet. Although you haven't got your credit card bill for December yet. You know, I mean, so like you haven't given up on those things. Don't give up on those things. But hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you will hang with us in this series. Every week you'll be here. And by the looks of it, you're, you're on board. You know, you, you, you put into practice what we talked about last week, which was prayer and the importance of that, and hopefully you'll put into practice what we're talking about today. Now, to have our best year ever, we gotta have our best priority ever, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. To have our best year ever, we've gotta have our best priority ever. How many of you have ever been told by someone you gotta get your priorities straight? Raise your hand if you've ever been told by someone you gotta get your priorities straight. Yeah, and, and I don't know if they were exact words, but the first time I remember kind of hearing you gotta get your priorities straight was from our varsity basketball coach at Central Gwinnett High School. Any Black, black Knights? All right. That's my peep. All right, and, uh, and so, so I played on the ninth grade basketball team and we were awesome. We, we, I think we only lost like two games, but then when we played them again, we beat them, uh, those teams. And then we won our ninth grade Gwinnett County basketball tournament. We were awesome. Our coach, our varsity coach comes down to ninth grade group and he says, hey, there are gonna be some open spots on the varsity team for some of you guys potentially to fill if you'll get your priorities straight. Again, I don't know if he used those exact words, but that's kind of the way we heard it. If you'll get your priorities straight, and essentially saying, if you'll make base basketball your love and your passion and nothing else, then you might have a chance. And so me and a couple of other guys that were on our ninth grade football team, we quit football. Biggest regret. Uh, we, made fo we quit football so that we could focus on basketball. And sure enough, I mean, all of that paid off. I, I earned a starting spot on JV that next year, you know, and... Uh, yeah, some of you are like, what? Uh, yeah, JV, you know, and then uh, fortunately my, my junior, senior year, I got to be on the basketball team, not a whole lot of playing time, but anyway, um, that's what happens when we get our priorities straight. G getting our priorities straight basically means that we focus our time, our attention, and our energy on what matters most. We focus our time, attention, and energy on what matters most. 
And we give priority to a lot of stuff, which is why at the beginning of a new year we go, okay, hey, this has potential. This can be a great breakthrough year. This can be an abundant year. This can be a year of thriving. This can be our best year ever because we know that we've got to refocus our time, our attention, and our energy on certain things that are making the most difference in our life. And when it comes to our spiritual walk, there is a priority that is above other priorities. And it's important for us to make this our priority and for us to recognize that there is a priority that is the best priority that we can have. As if we're not careful, what the world will try to do is to tell us what those priorities should be. You you see this even with Jesus, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, this mystery of a divine person in the flesh, Jesus, where he goes and he spends 40 days in the wilderness, he fasts, he prays, he's reading scripture, And at the end of that, the world comes in the form of the enemy of God, the enemy of man, the enemy of our soul, and tries to get priority off of God. Puts it on certain things that are common even in our life. And so the first thing that that Jesus is tempted to prioritize is, is pleasure. It's pleasure. So after not eating for 40 days, the enemy of God, God's people, and your soul comes along to Jesus and says, hey, Hey, turn these stones into bread and eat. And, and Jesus, I mean, he'd been fasting for 40 days. He like every right to just do whatever he wanted to do or to eat in that moment to satisfy his stomach, but he knew that satisfying the soul was more important than satisfying his stomach. So he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Well, then the enemy of God, God's people and your soul comes along to Jesus and is like, okay, hey, hey, Jesus, go up to this high point in the city and throw yourself down. And then while you're, you know, falling down, call the angels to come and take care of you. In other words, hey, hey, make your priority on your power based on your identity because you are the son of man. If you're the son of man, you could call the angels, they'll come down and they'll take care of you. So make that your priority, your, your power as God in the flesh. And, and Jesus knows that the greatest power that we can experience is, is not power that we can possess, but when we're possessed by the power of God. And he says, we shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. Well, then the enemy of God, God's people in your soul comes along to Jesus and says, hey, hey, make possessions your priority. In fact, Jesus has shown all the kingdoms of the world, all the riches, all of the power, all the authority, everything that comes along with it, these possessions, is that if, you, if you'll bow down and worship me, then you can have all of these possessions. They'll be yours. And Jesus responds by again saying, hey, I know that the most powerful possession is when my life is possessed by God. That's why I will worship and serve the Lord only. And these, these priorities, they should sound familiar to us. These are the biggest like, temptations that we have to prioritize our life around certain things that, that aren't going to be lasting, they're not going to be satisfactory, they're not going to be fulfilling. You know, the first is pleasure, where we get to do whatever feels good, when we want to do it, and how much we want to do it. I was at a wedding uh, last night for uh, Liz's cousin, and we went to the reception afterwards, and I mean, that was a reminder of how we are tempted to prioritize pleasure, where we can gratify ourselves, whatever feels good and, and whatever we want to do and, and however much quantity we want to do it, especially when there's open 
bar, you know, and, um, and so uh, I experienced this too myself. Um, I had been going without sugar or limited sugar since January 2nd, had to get in that Rose Bowl party, right? You know, so January 2nd, just no sugar, limited sugar, and then they broke out the groom's cake, and the groom's cake was a beautiful Ugga. It was awesome, looked awesome, but it tasted even better, and so they brought out the cake, and I, I took this little bite of the, the groom's cake, and I was like, oh my Gosh, that is so good. In fact, I was going to split it with Liz, but I ended up eating the whole like, piece that was on the plate. Uh, but you have to compare the groom's cake to the bride's cake, right? So then I was like, well, if that was good, then maybe I should try out the, gr- the bride's cake. And I tried the bride's cake, nowhere near as good. So then to verify my findings, I went back to the groom's cake <laughs> and got another slice of it. And the woman came to take the plates off that and was like, are you done? I was like, three plates. I was like, I think I am. I think I am, but I really wanted some more because I wanted to satisfy like, my, my desire for pleasure, which is a God-given desire, but sometimes we're, we're, we're tempted to prioritize that over others. And then clearly some of our family members and friends last night were you know, doing the same thing, overindulging with beverages. Uh, that party went late into the night, and I'm sure that Liz and I were the only people that were present there that got up and went to church this morning. Um, <laughs> We, we, we make people objects of our pleasure. We're, we're, call, you know, we're tempted to prioritize that too. Where, where other people, we objectify them and we make them an object of our pleasure. And see, the problem with prioritizing that is that we can never have enough. You notice that? Like I wanted more cake, even though that cake was awesome and three slices should have been enough. I wanted more of that. And clearly people wanted more and more drink. <laughs> they went to an after party after the party. I mean, that was like crazy, you know? Um, and we, do that, we do that with people. We, we just can never be satisfied. The, the temptation to prioritize power where we, where we manipulate other people, we try to control them for our gain, for our esteem, my kids two months ago confessed to having a manipulation strategy when it comes to me and Liz. <laughs> yeah, like the kids will manipulate Liz when they want certain foods or a different bedtime. And they'll manipulate me for movies and activities. Yeah. We're, we learn this art very early in life to manipulate people so that we can get gain out of that. We desire popularity, and when it comes to power, popularity, we think, gives us more power, and so, man, we, we seek those, those likes, those, those retweets, those shares. We seek possessions. I mean, just three weeks ago, everybody got a bunch of gifts, and I mean, are you still interested in those gifts? Are you still engaged in those gifts? We got some, yes, but others of you, just bring them to church, and we'll have a first-ever garage sale. You know, because we accumulate a bunch of stuff that's the, the stuff of future garage sales. Or Jesus says, hey, there's, sometimes there are going to be some, some moths that come and destroy. There's going to be some rust that comes and destroys. Or there's going to be some thieves that come along and they just steal that. And the problem with any of the world's priorities is that it's just not lasting. And so Jesus introduces us to the best priority ever. And to find that best priority ever, I want to invite you to go with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go there with me. John chapter 15 should be a familiar chapter for you if the vine is your, ch- your home church. And if it, the vine is not your home church, I, I would love to welcome you to the vine and, and to make this your home church. Um, this should be a familiar passage where Jesus is kind of nearing his, his death his resurrection, and then his departure from the world. And so he's kind of getting down to those last moments where he's teaching his followers some pretty important things. In fact, in those days, uh, a rabbi or a lead teacher 
would take some followers or disciples and they would just kind of walk and, and, and walk through life and, um, and as they approached certain places in Jesus' ministry, he'd pause and he would teach these guys about God's kingdom where God rules and God reigns. And um, he stops in front of a vineyard at one point. And he just uses the vineyard as an example for what it looks like when, when God's in control of our lives. And this is, what, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Listen to this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That kind of sounds like best year ever, right? where our life produces fruit that's lasting, it's not temporary, it's not gonna fade away, it's not gonna go away and it can't be stolen, but it's, it's forever, it's lasting. And where you experience joy, that constant state of inner gladness that regardless of what's happening circumstantially in your life, you are saying, hey, this is my best year ever. And Jesus says, in order to experience this best life ever, this best year ever, then you need the best priority ever. And did you pick up on the priority? Abide. The priority of abiding. In order for us to experience our best year ever, we need to have the best priority ever. And the best priority ever is abiding. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Now, we don't use the word abiding a lot in just kind of like common terminology. Uh, we might use dwell or live in. Those are words that you can use as synonyms to kind of fill in the spot. But we've got a, a working definition of what it means to abide in God or to abide in Jesus. And here's the working definition for you. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Abiding is the constant what? Awareness of and the constant what? Activity in the presence of God. Abiding is the constant awareness and constant activity in the presence of God. Now, what we know about God is that God is everywhere at all times. God is present everywhere at all times. The psalmists say that, but we're, we're fully aware of that. And, it, and if you're here, you're probably a seeker, at least you're a seeker. And so like you probably even understand that too. What that means is that when you wake up, God is present. It means when you're getting ready to go to work or to go to school, God's present. When you are driving and you're stuck on I-85 or just the traffic on Highway 211 at certain times, like God is present. And clearly God's present with backup quarterbacks in Philadelphia or Alabama. Like God is present, like too soon. Okay, yeah, like God's present at all times. But how many of you know this? 
even though someone might be present with you, you might not be present with them. Like how many of you have ever experienced that? Vice versa, whatever. Like sometimes in life, people are present with us, but we're not present with them. Just as a confession, ladies, like as a guy, like us guys, we, we, we have a hard time multitasking. Can I get an amen from all the women? Like we get focused on something and locked in, which is good because when you have our focus and attention, that's good, right? But, but we have a hard time multitasking. So if we're focused on something, like you better get our attention. Now there are a couple of ways that can guarantee that you get our attention, but we won't go there because like, I mean, they're middle schoolers and high schoolers. Anyway, and so um, yeah. So my kids know this about me, that when I get locked in on something, like they've got to get my attention. And so my oldest son, uh, about a month ago, he, he just said out of the blue, he goes, da-da-da-da. And I was like, what, what? And he goes, okay, it worked. You know, and then like the rest of my kids now for a month have been going, da-da-da-da. Anytime they want my attention. For some reason, I guess it's just a break out of the norm. They want to get my attention because they're present with me, but I'm not present with them. And for the lack of, you know, at the... Uh, you know, the challenge of being like a little maybe middle school, like, you know, we've got God saying, hey, da-da-da-da, like, I'm present with you. I want you to be present with me. This is what it means to abide. Da-da-da-da, hey, oh, what? Okay, you're here. You're active. You're present with me because God is present with you. God's never not been present with you. He's present with you in your good and your bad, your hell and your heaven. God's present with you at all times, everywhere. Are you present with him? And what Jesus is trying to get our focus on is being constantly aware of and active in the presence of God. And so I want to share with you how I think we can best do that this morning. Abiding in God should be as easy as breathing. Abiding with God should be as easy as breathing. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot that down. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to take a deep breath with me, everybody. Now let it out. My guess is that for most of you, that's the first breath that you are aware of today. Because we wake up in the mornings, we just go about life, and, and our bodies have learned involuntarily to, to breathe. In fact, you'll breathe over 23,000 times this day. For some of you, if you're working on your New Year's resolution to get in shape, like it might be a little bit more than that. For some of you, like maybe you were a little bit aware of the breathing as you were like trying to hit those high notes like during our singing earlier. But you're going to breathe 23,000 times today, and I, I bet that most of you are not aware of it. That was the first time that you were aware of it. What we want to get to a place in our spiritual life is to where we abide in God just as easy as we're breathing, where we're not even aware of it. But in order to get to a place where we're involuntarily abiding in Jesus, we've got to voluntarily abide in Jesus, just as we would learn how to breathe for the first time. And so I want to share with you three ways that our breath can help us abide with Jesus. And the first thing is that we offer God our first breath. We offer God our first breath. Um, I'm a coffee drinker. We got any coffee drinkers out there? Amen. You know, some days I, I just really want it and other days I need it. 
you know, but that first, that first cup of coffee, my, my buddy Kevin says, that first cup of coffee is the best cup of coffee. It's the best one. I mean, none of the others compare to that first cup of coffee. And the same is true about our breath when it comes to abiding in God. Our first breath is our best, our best breath that we can offer to God. And one of the interesting things about like our day is that whatever we offer first with, we'll follow with. Some of you need to know that. Whatever you first offer, you'll follow with that. So like if you first offer your time, your attention, your, your energy towards like the news, like you're going to follow in like probably negativity the rest of the day. How many of you experienced that on Friday where you woke up and whether it's fake news, real news, you realize, man, this, there's this quote by a leader of our country that was like didn't sit right with you. And then as you were kind of like in a funk the rest of the day, it's because whatever you offer first attention to is going to follow you. If your first attention is given to social media, like your fear of missing out, your FOMO, it's going to follow you the rest of the day. That's why so many of us, we're addicted to doing this. We're addicted to doing this because we give so much time, attention, and focus to that. And we have, we're afraid of missing out. And so if we'll offer our first breath to God, it's going to follow us the rest of the day where our time, attention, and our focus more easily will be on God. And if you'll offer God the best in your life, he will bless the rest in your life. Listen, if you'll offer God the best in your life, he will, offer, he will bless the rest in your life. And so if you'll offer God that first breath in your day, he'll follow you throughout the day with blessing, with blessing. Maybe that's why Jesus said, hey, Seek first the kingdom of God. Like, first thing, seek first the kingdom of God, the reign, the rule of God, God's presence, God's activity in the world. Seek that first. If you'll seek that first, then guess what? God will give you all those things that you need. And the reason that Jesus got to that statement, seek first in the first place, is because he was aware of the fact that a lot of us, our focus and our attention are on the things that we can't control. And so just before he says, seek first, he goes, hey, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Any of you ever worry about tomorrow? And how many of you would say that the thing that maybe steals the most amount of joy or, or takes away from your best life ever is the worry about tomorrow? And Jesus goes, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got a lot of stuff to worry about. So when you wake up, before you get to that long list of things you need to worry about, seek first God's presence. Seek first God's presence. And for me, uh, I shared with you last week that often, most mornings, God wakes me up with a song in my heart. So that's, the, that's my first breath. My first breath is just singing back to God, God's praise. If there's a morning where he doesn't, then before my feet hit the floor, I say, God, I want to seek first your kingdom today. And then I'll go into um, my closet, and that's where I have my quiet time, and I will um, pray for about 15, 20 minutes. I'll read scripture for about 15, 20 minutes. Jesus said, hey, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, the Bible's God's word, if, we, if his words abide in us, then we can ask for whatever we desire and it'll be done. That sounds like a good deal. Okay, so spend time in his word. And, and then I'll spend about 15, 20 minutes just listening. Let, me not talking, God talking to me. And often during that time, as I'm journaling what I feel like God's saying to me, it's just a reminder that God loves me. Which is why Jesus said, hey, if, if you abide in me, you'll abide in my love. 
Like I need to abide in God's love in order to abide in him, to be aware of his presence and his activity in the world. That's what it looks like for me. I don't know what it looks like for you. I, I like to spend about an hour. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. A lot of times it's less. And, and I don't know how much time you have to give, but what I know that you can do is you can give first. You know, I mentioned last week that our days got 96, 15-minute segments. Like, surely we could choose one of those, maybe the first one of those to, to offer to God. When I was in high school, uh, I was in FCA, and our, our football coach, our ninth grade football coach was our FCA sponsor, and he said, boys, I want you to do first and 10. That's not really how he sounded, it's just in my mind, you know. Like, first and 10, first thing in the morning, 10 minutes with God. And I was like, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. I don't know what it looks like, but first, if you offer your first breath to God, he'll bless the rest. Second thing is, we continually, we continually offer breath to God. Paul writing in the New Testament, he says to continually praise, continually pray. He said, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. And, and it's kind of hard to get to a place where we can pray without ceasing. In fact, I struggle with that. And about 15 years ago, though, I was introduced to a discipline um, called breath prayers. And I was introduced uh, to breath prayers through a little book called, uh, that was written by this guy named Brother Lawrence. And uh, I was introduced to this, this ancient tradition um, that started around the 5th century, where people would retreat into the wilderness and they would write out breath prayers. So basically, just a short prayer that you can pray with one breath. So everybody, I want you to take a deep breath in. Now let it out. Whatever the length of that exhale, that's the length of the prayer. And Brother Lawrence's prayer that he actually kind of recorded that had been prayed earlier in uh, previous centuries was this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Now, for some of you, like, you don't have enough, like, oxygen for that. So, and other people didn't. So it got shortened all the way down to where it became common for some people to just say, Lord, mercy. Like, some of you, I know you got breath for that, all right? Lord, mercy. And so I wanted to involuntarily, like, pray without ceasing. And so for one week, I killed the radio in my car. And so every time I had drive time for that one week, instead of listening to the radio or book on cassette, I would pray a breath prayer. And I adapted Brother Lawrence's prayer to this. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and fill me Holy Spirit. And I just put those two things together and, and I was in shape back then so I could pray that all at one time. And I just prayed it over and over. I'm driving down the road. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and fill me Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and fill me Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and fill me Holy Spirit. And I just kept praying that over and over for a week. And all of a sudden, by default, involuntarily, in those moments of absence of mind where I wasn't engaged in anything else, I'm active in the awareness of God's presence. Breath prayer. And you could pray Brother Lawrence's, Brother David's prayer. Or you can make your own. But a short prayer that you pray over and over and over again that reminds you to be aware and active in the presence of God. And finally, if we've offered our first prayer to God, our best prayer to God so that he blesses the rest, and we offer our continual praise to God, what do you think we do last? We offer our last breath of prayer every day, uh, breath to God every day. And usually uh, the way this works is that I wake myself up snoring, or Liz nudges me because I'm snoring, and then I roll over to my side. And what I love to say last with my last breath is, Jesus, I love you. 
Jesus, I love you. Just as simple as that. So that, so that the beginning of the day and the end of the day, they're bookend with this awareness of God's presence. Activity in God's presence. And what's ironic about offering our last breath to God in the day is that our very first breath in life was God breathing into us. In Genesis 2, when we have the story of how, how man was created, we know that God took dirt, which verifies the fact that, you know, boys are smelly and dirty. And, right, ladies? And, uh, and so God forms dirt, but in order to bring that dirt to life, what does God do? He breathes into God. And the Old Testament word is ruach. Everybody say ruach. Ruach. Yeah, that was disgusting for some of you. I don't know. God breathed into man the first breath. And so all we're doing in life when it comes to abiding is offering him the breath that he has already given us. I want to help you out with some resources. Just like last week, there's a couple of things that have been helpful for me in my journey um, to abide in God. And I still need help. And so every January, the beginning of January, I read this book. It's called The Pursuit of God. It's written by A.W. Tozer. It's helped me understand why I need to pursue God more than anything else. Why abiding is such a priority and encouraged me in that. One, one thing that has helped me get to the place is a book called Secrets of the Secret Place. I was introduced to this book about 15 years ago. And, and I've actually got these to give away this morning. And so first come, first serve basis. I mean, y'all can run. You can rush the stage if you want to get it. You can fight. It's fine. And uh, what? You don't have to ask me twice. Oh, okay. All right, man. Um, so any takers? Anyway. Okay, no. There we go. Hey, I mean, hey. It's my Bible. Anybody want my Bible? I mean, like, just, one for you, for you, for you. Anyway. Yeah. And so those two resources, if you didn't get that, because there were people that were quick to get that, Secrets of the Secret Place. 52 chapters. 52 weeks out of the year. One chapter a week. It helps you establish a secret place, a closet, a prayer time where you can abide in the presence of God. And, and interestingly, there's actually a connect group that's studying Secrets of the Secret Place. And so maybe that should be a resource for some of you. The last resource that I think might be helpful for you is actually a downloadable um, worship, um, I don't know, what do you call it, CD? I mean, it's not a CD, album, um, that is a recording from one of our previous nights of worship back in the fall. And so our very own Sean Ray Pert, who is our music director back here, he engineered this, and it's available for all of us on our website. If you'll go to the drop-down menu in the top right, you can go down to the worship album, or you can just type in this to your computer, and you can download those songs. And, and if you just play it at the beginning of the day, maybe in your drive time, maybe, maybe at your workplace, or I wouldn't suggest playing this at school, students, but, you know, if you can get away with it, go for it, you know. Don't tell them your pastor told you to do that, but... You know, it, it just keeps you aware of the presence of God. And so this morning as we close our service, um, there's two invitations that I have for you. The first one is this. If you've never before trusted Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, I want to invite you today to do so. And here's why. Because not only will you have the assurance and insurance that you'll go to heaven when you die, but you have the promise that heaven will come into you right now that you can live. The promise is that God's spirit actually dwells inside of you. And so this is the knowledge that we have that God loves us and desires fellowship with us, that he would actually dwell inside of us. 
And, and according to scripture, you, you don't have access to that unless you trust in Jesus as a forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. So if you've never before trusted Jesus, I want to encourage you to do so. If you have trusted in Jesus, then are you abiding in Jesus? Because what I know is that most of us, we pray a prayer and then we're kind of done and we do some routine things, but we don't really abide in with constant awareness of and constant activity in the presence of God. So what would your life look like if you offered your first, your continual, and your last breath to God? And what do you need to do voluntarily to get involuntarily to that place? There's nothing worth more that could ever come Oh, my God. 